Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here this morning. Um, before we start, I think it's really important that we just uh, open with a prayer. So if you could stand, if you're able to, um, just as we start and dedicate this morning, as we have done already, to the Lord. Lord God, we just declare, Father, that we love you, Father God. Lord God, we thank you that it's all about you, Lord God. Everything that we do is about you, Father. Lord God, we thank you as we celebrate, sorry, Father's Day this morning, Lord, that you are the perfect example of a father that we can look to. Your loving, kind, merciful Father God, you discipline us when we need it, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you for that, Father. Lord, we thank you for the gift that you've left of us of your word, Lord, as we study it this morning, Lord. That as a loving God, you've left a gift to us, Father, that we can learn, that we can be taught from, Father God, that you can challenge us and most importantly, speak to us and the world around us, Father God, through it. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you are the perfect example of a father. Help us be teachable this morning, Lord God. Help us to learn. And most importantly, let us point to you, Father God. Amen. So good morning, everybody. Morning. Morning. It's rubbish. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Morning, guys. Uh, Before we begin, we're looking at Acts, um, for those who don't know. It's really important that we just remind ourselves of the background to this book. So we've been studying Acts. We're up to chapter four now, which is what we're going to look at today. Um, But for those who haven't been with us before, for those who might have missed a few sessions, or for those who've just not been around, uh, we've been studying this book of Acts. We've had some real words of God from this over us as a church and over us as a people. So when we come to this, we need to be excited. The book was written between 60 and 80 AD. It was written by Luke, who was a physician, who also wrote the book of Luke. And he was one of Jesus' disciples. He knew Jesus well. And we see this book that he's written can be broken up into six sections, with each section detailing how the gospel expanded and spread. The first part, we see that the church is established in Jerusalem. Next, it moves to the surrounding area. Thirdly, Gentiles, that's non-Jews, were included in this gathering in the church. Fourthly, messengers are sent out west into the Roman province of Asia. Then they enter Europe. And finally, the gospel, the final phase, the gospel reaches Rome, which was the highest level of society. And that meant that it was spread and proclaimed to all the nations. And so it's really important that we just remind ourselves of a couple of key things about the book of Acts before we start. It reads like a narrative. It's really detailed. And we're going to look at why it's detailed today. And it's important to understand this. Luke does this. He skillfully writes this way for a reason. The book is written in the style of the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. And we know that this is done for another reason, which we will look at as we go and explore a little bit further in the book. So his style of writing, the way this book is written, is written for a real reason, which we will see and unpick today. And we see also, similar to other books, that he constantly refers to prophecies. And they're doing this to point to Jesus, to remind the church to look at Jesus. The whole book of Acts is carefully crafted by Luke to show believers, to show us how the Spirit of God saved people, equipped them, and sent them out to spread the gospel. So we might say, that's great, but why is it important for us? Good question. Well, one of the beautiful things within this book is it's full of people, lots of different people. We see lots of different names cropping up. Ordinary people like us, some rich, some poor, 
some with baggage, some with a history, some with backgrounds, some uneducated, some educated, the disenfranchised, criminals. The difference here, though, and this is where we should be excited, is that God uses these ordinary people to do extraordinary things through his power for his glory. So we, as a collective body, should be excited as we read this. It should make us excited. And so today, as I said, we're going to be looking at Acts 4. However, before we do this, it's really important that we just remind ourselves what has happened so far. So I'm going to take us through a quick crash course of the last three chapters. Acts 1, we see Jesus is taken up into heaven after ministering to his disciples. In essence here, he was preparing them to go out and spread the gospel. We see verse 3, chapter 1, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. The ground was being prepared. In chapter 2, after his ascension, we see the Holy Spirit come over the disciples on Pentecost. The power of God comes down and we see amazing things. And we see the church begin to grow and the fellowship of the believers become united in everything. And I'd love to have been there at the time. Chapter 2, verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to each other. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? Selling properties, selling things to support one another, loving one another, breaking bread with one another. In chapter 3, we see Peter and John, which we've been looking at recently, two of Jesus' disciples encounter a man who can't walk. And through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, he is healed. And we're told in Acts 3.10 that the people were filled with wonder and amazement at this miracle. Wonder and amazement. We're told that this causes a mass commotion, this causes a scene, and the people run to find Peter and John. And they share the gospel message with them. And this is where we're up to now. The gospel message has been shared So we're going to look today at Acts 4, verses 1 to 3. The gospel message has just been shared. Let's see what happens. Acts 4, 1 to 3. (coughs) And as they were speaking to the people, sharing the message, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, love that, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, we've been praying as a body, as groups, as individuals, for the Spirit of God to work in us. We've been praying that we would be filled with the Spirit of God. So this is important for us, this part particularly, because we see that the Spirit of God has moved and we see the fallout of this, what happens A miracle has happened, one that people know cannot be disputed. He was well known, it's told. They knew he couldn't walk and he suddenly got up, he's walked and it's caused this mass hysteria. The interest was phenomenal. And what's interesting here is that we see two polar reactions, two opposite reactions to what this event has happened. We see people giving their lives to God, people hungry to find out about the Lord Curious, what has gone on here? What power is this? And we see another reaction, an opposite reaction. The religious leaders who rejected this message and tried to silence the apostles. We see a response and an opposition. 
And this is important for us. If we are praying to be filled with the Spirit, if we are praying lives that show the Spirit to people, that show God to people, we shouldn't be surprised when we see this. It shouldn't take us by surprise. When the Spirit of God moves, there is a reaction. It can't help but cause a reaction. Salvation or opposition. We have an enemy at work who's counter-arguing. I love it when we see these events happen and people, thousands, hundreds, come to know God. Isn't that encouraging? That people just can't help but flood and run and see what's going on, giving their lives to God. Phenomenal. How amazing salvation is, the power of God. And we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter reactions like the religious leaders. Luke, in the book of Luke, uh, Luke 12, 49 to 53, reminds the people of Jesus' words that when he comes, his message will cause division. So it shouldn't take us by surprise. Luke reminded in his letter that in chapter 21 that his followers, that Jesus' followers would be thrown into prison and persecuted. So this shouldn't come as a surprise to us when we, filled with the Spirit, are sharing the gospel. We might encounter different reactions. It's really important to remember as well that Peter and John would have first-hand experienced a negative reaction to Jesus and his message. Wherever Jesus went, we see that these religious leaders were following him, sometimes walking miles and miles just to catch him out, to pick a fault with him, to oppose him time and time again. We see this in the pinnacle of his death when the people were baying for his blood, crucify him, crucify him, and he was mocked. His followers were hated. Luke 22 tells us how Peter was identified as being one of them. There was a real hostility towards this gospel message, towards the power of God. Does this sound familiar? And as a church, we've been studying this book and starting to see some amazing things. We've seen people healed. We've seen people give their lives to God. We've seen people sharing boldly the gospel with people. We shouldn't be surprised that when we see these two different reactions, one, people might repent and turn to Jesus. Secondly, people might scorn. People might think we're a bit strange. They might think we're a bit weird. We see this happening time and time again. Peter and John knew this could happen, yet they also knew the word of God. They knew their great commission and they were prepared to go through persecution and ridicule for their Lord and Saviour. They didn't let the fear of what could happen hold them back. They were passionate about the message that they had. They were passionate about Jesus. So my first question there is, are we passionate like this? Are we prepared to go through ridicule when we share the gospel with people? Are we prepared to share the gospel with people, even if it means people might think we're a bit odd? Are we as passionate as Peter and John here? Could have cost them their lives but they were passionate. And we can take heart from this. Over the last probably 20 to 30 years, we've, we've gone from a probably, well, even longer, we've gone from a nation that once built its principles on godly word to one that's moved far, far away. And we're almost starting to see a change where there's a hostility towards God, towards godly beliefs. So we can relate to what is going on here. Now, at this point, you might think, this isn't fair, <laughs> Why would God allow his people, who've just performed a miracle through the power of the Spirit, to then be thrown into prison? Doesn't make sense. 
Well, through this, we might not realise it, but we see God's heart for man. We're told he loves man. He loves those who know him, those who don't know him. Those who scorn him, he loves. Jesus died for all. God is long-suffering. God loves mankind. And we see this heart in these events here. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God was long-suffering with man and mankind. The Israelites, time and time again, praised God, fell away, God disciplined them. And it was a cycle that went on and on and on and on and on. And he restored them each time. Finally, we come to John the Baptist, who came to prepare the way for the Messiah. Repent. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And still he was scorned. So God, in his love and mercy, sent the Messiah, the King, Jesus. And again, we see two reactions to his message. Salvation and scorn. They denied the Messiah, people did. They falsely murdered him. The punishment for murder, Old Testament law, was death. We deserve death. And yet within Acts, we see again God's heart for mankind. He sends the Spirit to empower, to equip, to convict and give people another opportunity to repent. The Father's heart is loving and merciful. We might ask then, why is this fair then that Peter and John would be arrested, filled with the Spirit, would be arrested? Well, we see in this case, which we'll see in a minute, that God was working behind the scenes. Romans 8, 28 reads, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. And we need to be pedantic with our Bible. We need to pick apart. We need to be nitpicky with the wording. What's important to note here is that it doesn't say for our God, but for good. For his glory. That's the literal translation. Peter and John knew this and were prepared. We're prepared to be sacrificial, to sacrifice for his good. And this is the mindset that we need. If we want to see moves of the Spirit... If we want to see people's lives changed, we need to be excited. We need to be prepared to take opportunities with people, to pray for people, to share the gospel with people. But also, at times, it might be costly. But God, in his love and mercy, we see fruit from this in verse 4. So Acts 4, verse 4 says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. You see, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, hated this message. They tried to oppose it. They thought, if we throw these guys into prison, into jail, that'll stop it. But God, in his love and mercy, wasn't going to be stopped. Thousands coming to know God. When we think things are getting tough, when we don't always see the outcome we think we should, take heart. God is at work. We might not see it, we might not always understand it, but God is working. Amen? When Joseph was thrown into prison, it looked bleak. But God was preparing him, using this time to redeem the people of Israel, to save them. When Peter denied Jesus, he was heartbroken. He denied his king. Yet we see further on, despite this, God fueled his fire. And this led him to passionately share the gospel. 
Now, it would have been easy for Peter and for Peter and John to hang up the boots there when it got tough and go, oh, do you know what, I'm not interested. I've made a mistake. I'm just going to go and wallow in my bedroom. Don't. Dust yourself down. Get back on it. Dust yourself down. Try again. We might never see the fruit of our work. Do you know? We might not see the results, but take heart and strive forwards. Paul probably truly never realised the impact of his work. He just loved God and he was passionate. That's all he was concerned about and spreading the gospel. The youth group leader who brought my mum to the Lord would never realise that three subsequent generations would follow Christ as a result of that. He just did what he was called to do, to share the love of God, to share God, the gospel with people. What we need to do is not get concerned with our circumstances, not get concerned with the results of what is happening and just keep our focus on Jesus and be faithful. All we are required to do is be faithful. We can do nothing through our own, through ourselves. It's God who is moving through us. It's God who is work, at work. I'm just going to read verse four again to encourage us again. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. They were oppressed, thrown into jail, and despite the best attempts to silence them, people still became saved. So don't give up. I can't reinforce this enough. <laughs> don't give up sharing the news, the good news with friends. Don't grow, don't grow weary when you're running your race. When we are mocked for sharing Jesus, he too was mocked. Don't get tired of praying for people because God is at work don't tire of doing good. I, when I was preparing this, I was reminded of Joshua 1.9. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Do we know that? Our first observation from this passage is we see the response to the message, to the work of the Holy Spirit. As we move on, let's look at verse 5 to 7. Acts 4, 5 to 7. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the minds, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now Luke, as I said at the start, is a skillful writer. He includes important detail in the book of Acts, names particularly, so it's really important when we look at verse 5 to 7, why has he dropped those names in? You see, the Sahedron was appointed to protect the Jewish faith. Their role was to listen to new teaching, weigh it, and compare it with the word of God. What was godly should be allowed, and what was not godly should be disregarded, based on Deuteronomy 13. In essence, their role was to be gatekeepers. So they had every right, in fairness, to ask by what power or by what name did you do this? However, they'd missed the mark with this. They too themselves needed to be passionate about the word of God, to listen to God. And anybody who knows their Bible knows that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were far from this. They were too concerned with their own agenda. They were too concerned with what was going on in their lives rather than making it about God. You see, the court who were trying the disciples, was effectively made up of the high priest's family. The Jewish offices had become so corrupt that the positions were simply passed from one member of family to another at the disregard of the prompting 
of God. When Annas was disposed of, of his position in the priesthood, the position wasn't given to who was best fit or who God was appointing. It was simply given to his son-in-law, Caiaphas. We see this happen through subsequent generations. We see throughout Jesus' ministry that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were more concerned about their own positions and piousness than actually doing the godly role that they had been appointed. And when we think back to what's going on here, they had the audacity to put Peter and John on trial. They had the audacity to ask them. Can you imagine how they were feeling? (laughs) You know what these people are like. You know that they're corrupt. You sat in a dark, dungy prison, having just seen somebody healed through the power of God, who the people knew. They knew it was a miracle. They had every right to be angry. Every right to be annoyed with the religious leaders, which leads us on to point two, their response to this. Let's read verse 8 to 12. Acts 4, 8 to 12. Then Peter, I love this sentence, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that uh, that was rejected by you the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hallelujah. You see, how we react is important too. When we spread the gospel, we might get two reactions. We might get a range of reactions, to be honest. But how we react is important as well. They had every right to stand there in this court and call them snakes. Every right to dig them out, every right to criticise them, but they didn't. They knew the rights, but they were more aware of their responsibility to the gospel and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, a few years ago, about three years ago, I was asked to deliver an inspirational speech. Now, as soon as somebody puts those words, inspirational, it puts pressure on. (laughs) I don't feel myself as a massively inspirational person in that way. I'm not really good at stuff like that. Um, But I'd known this group of children for for a long... I'd taught them for about a quarter of their life. I loved this little bunch of children. I'd seen family breakups. I'd seen weddings. I'd seen uh, people mourning. I'd seen families in all sorts of states. I loved them. I knew them really well. I would, you know, it's probably one of the only classes I've really, really had that I would take, you know, I would consider them my own. I just loved them so passionately. And, and when I was asked to do this inspirational speech, I can remember going home and saying to Han, Han, you won't believe what they've asked me to do, me, an inspirational speech. And so I did what anybody else would do. I went on YouTube and I had a look at inspirational speeches. And there was inspirational speeches of people from Harvard, from Yale, from Cambridge, from Oxford, talking to thousands. And these talks that changed lives and people going away and getting the, you know, the, 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 the logo tattooed and, and all this stuff. And you just think, it put pressure on me. I can remember thinking, oh God, that just, I don't really feel that's me. I don't feel that that's what I should do. But maybe I, I need to do this. Maybe it really does need to change lives, this speech. I wasn't feeling it at all. So I decided to go onto, uh, onto the internet and have a look for some inspirational quotes, which we all love a good inspirational quote. 
One of my favourites was, that's brilliant this, if, if you feel like a lemon, don't give up. Because lemons are yellow and tomorrow's sunrise is yellow. Just take a moment to ponder that. Honestly, it's awful. <laughs> awful. I just wasn't feeling any of these inspirational quotes. I was thinking, really? Really? And yeah, you know, it must have worked for somebody out there, honestly. Awful. So I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And to be honest, I got nothing. I really did. I was thinking, oh God, just give me a phrase that I could base it on. Just something. I just had nothing. So I put it on the back burner, to be honest. I left it five weeks, four weeks three weeks, two weeks. I got to one week before and I was starting to stress now. Lord God, what is it that you want me to say? Give me something. Something. I must have spent about 40 minutes just praying for something and I got nothing still. So, I put it on the back burner again. Six days, five days, four days, three days, two days. The night before, I was really getting worried now. Imagine standing up in front of all these people. And what I did was, God just said to me, take a piece of card or a couple of pieces of card. So I took a few pieces of card and he said, strim them into 30 pieces. So strim them, 30 pieces. Looking at these pieces of cards going, God, what do you want me to do with this? (laughs) And he said, really clearly to me, pour out my heart for these children. Just pour out your heart for them. Tell them how special they are. Tell them that they, they can go on to do great things with their lives if they try. Tell them how I see them. So on each card, I did a card for each one of them and I wrote, not long, four or five lines for each of them and I filled them all in, put them in a little wallet ready for the next day and I said, right, God, what do you want me to say now? Let's do this. Got nothing again. Went to bed, didn't have a great sleep. I was stressing a little bit. I woke up the next day and it got to, I can't remember what time, it was about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock and, and I was asked to go in and I felt God just say to me, right, go into that classroom. So I stood in the class. And he said, right, ask the adults to leave apart from one. So I asked all the adults to leave. And I was stood there in front of all these faces. I had nothing. And God just said to me, just talk. Tell them how I see them. So I must have spent 15 to 20 minutes just telling them how special they were, how loved they were. You know, despite the hardships, loads of them had had really difficult things in their lives, just pouring out my heart. And me and my friend, uh, Chris, we were just floods tears. And I just poured and poured. And I cannot even honestly remember what I said. I just poured it and poured it out to them. Just what I felt God was telling me there and then. And I stopped. And I looked out at all these faces. And what did I see? Somebody guess what I saw? Cheers. Nothing. <laughs> so I was thinking, right, this didn't go to plan, God. Right, okay. This is not good at all. So I just, just said, and I've also got something for you. And I just want to just give you this. And I don't want you to open it until something is really difficult in your life. That's what I felt God was saying. And I want you to open it when the time is right. It might be today. It could be next week. It could be in five years' time. I don't want you to do anything with that. Just hold on to it until you feel the time is ready. When you feel like giving up, just open it. And I left the room. And I went back and carried on teaching. And I got a knock on the door about about an hour later from the teacher. She said, "Uh, Andy, can I just have a word? So over I went to the door. She said, uh, I was thinking, oh, I'm in real trouble here. She said, uh... She said, what did you say to them? And I said, I don't really know, to be honest. I just kind of told them how great they were. And she said, they're in floods of tears. You know, uncontrollable. And, you know, God taught me something from that. The pressure is off us. 
When God speaks to us, when the Spirit of God is moving, when God is prompting us, God said to me, you know, very clearly, get over yourself. (laughs) Make it about him, not us. You know, and I've had some of those kids come back to me and ask me, you know, this is, they're in year eight or nine now, and some of them come back and say, can I have a cup of tea with you? You know, and I wasn't expecting that to be particularly inspirational. It wasn't, probably, apart from me and my friend who were just crying our eyes out. Um... (laughs) But, you know, and, and I really hope that that seed that is sown with those little cards, at some point that they will open that and just realise and hopefully it will point them to Jesus. We all have different strengths. We all have different, you know, things that we're gifted in. But God told me two things. Don't be envious and take the pressure off yourself. When we're put on the spot, take time to just listen to the Spirit. What is God telling us? When we see a reaction that we don't necessarily like, take time, think, what is the Spirit telling me? What is God telling me in this situation? Sometimes a knee-jerk reaction are the worst. One of the gifts of the Spirit is wisdom. Are we praying for wisdom? (laughs) Are we? I'm going to do that bit. Sometimes, when we encounter different reactions to things, when God calls us to do different things, the best thing to do, instead of opening our mouth, is to just simply get on our knees and pray. When we share the gospel and we're ridiculed, instead of giving a mouthful back, instead of getting defensive, just get on your knees and pray for them. What's the Spirit telling me to do it? Is it appropriate for me to give a response right now? Oh, Lord God, do you want me to just go away and think and pray and go back to it? Peter and John were aware of this, and I love their response. Bear in mind that these people are hypocrites. They're calling them before the courts. And how do they respond? Rulers of the people and elders. They responded with respect. These people didn't deserve respect. But it tells us that they were filled with the Spirit, and they responded with a respectful answer. Then... They shared the gospel with them. They didn't use this as an opportunity to point score. They didn't use it as an opportunity to tear a strip off them. This was the perfect chance. All they did was simply share the gospel with them. And how powerful is that? They didn't make it about them. They made it about Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hallelujah. We need to check our own responses. When we share the gospel with with people, when we see the spirit of God move in people's lives and we encounter different reactions, we need to just think and take a check of our responses. It's very easy to get defensive, isn't it? But sometimes saying nothing is the best thing you can say. Sometimes being honest and saying, do you know I don't know the answer to that. Let me go away and pray about it. Sometimes we might have the technically right thing to say, but it might not necessarily be what the Spirit is telling us to say. We need to be aware. And what's interesting here is that that phrase, they were filled with the Spirit. We saw that they were filled with the Spirit on Pentecost and they were filled with the Spirit again. You see, this isn't once done a tick box. It's ongoing. If we are to be effective 
witnesses of Christ, then we need to continually be filled with the Spirit, listening to his prompting, listening to his wisdom and his guidance. So how do we do this? How do we get to that point? Easy. Spend time with God. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time listening to his voice so you know what it sounds like. Spend time listening and praying with the Holy Spirit. If we don't spend time listening to his voice, when we're in these situations, how do we know what it sounds like? It takes hard work. It takes discipline. But we are called to be faithful in these situations. And finally, we look at the fallout. We see the response to the message. We see the disciples' response. And finally, the fallout. So we're going to turn to um, 13 to 22. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognised that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You can just imagine them getting that, can't you? Yeah, right. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was no more than 40 years old. The council were perplexed. There was a dilemma there. They were trapped. They'd listened to how God had asked them, told them to respond. They responded, being filled with the Spirit. And this council couldn't deny the miracle. The man that was stood with them, they knew. They knew he could walk. This was blatantly a miracle. They knew who these people were. Uneducated men. Common men. So they were working under the authority of something far greater than just themselves. And what's interesting here is they linked the miracle with the word of God. And that's important as well. When we see miracles, when we see things happening, we need to make sure we are giving God the glory in it that he deserves. We can do nothing on our own. It's through God that these things happen. It's through God that we get words for people. It's through God that we see people healed. It's through God that we see people turn their lives to salvation. So how encouraging is this for us? It's all linked. What's key here is from this, that in every situation that they face, Peter and John, they show Jesus. Do our lives show Jesus? Bear in mind that they would have been followed by these religious leaders constantly, just like with Jesus, to catch them out. They couldn't find a fault with them. Do our responses show Jesus? It would have been really interesting if they would have replied, giving them an absolute gobful, and to see if the outcome would have been the same. 
if they would have found no fault, they probably could have accused them of blasphemy. But instead of using it as a a chance to point score, they followed God's prompting. Does our prayer life make us show Jesus? Are we praying for people who might mock us, who might scorn us, who might ridicule us? If we as a church, as believers, are praying for the spirit of God to break out into our lives, to see people's lives transformed, we need to make sure that everything we do points to him. Do our words point to him? Do our hearts point to him? Do our actions point to him? When we see amazing things happen, are we pointing them to him? The disciples knew there was no other name. That's why when they were threatened to be silent, they couldn't do it. They can't keep that promise because it was all about Jesus for them. They knew that his name alone saved. They knew that in him was salvation so they couldn't stop telling people about this. And this is a passion that we want, is it not? This is a heart that we want for the world. We might be threatened, we might be ridiculed, but do you know what? People need to hear about Jesus just like we have. Each one of us is stood here because somebody has shared the gospel with you. And our responsibility is to continue the race, to pass the baton on. None of us should be here just coming on a Sunday. Do our lives tell about God? Do our lives point to Jesus? Their lives had been examined. Their actions had been examined. The witnesses had been examined. Their words had been examined. Their lifestyles had been examined. And yet they could find no fault because it was all about Jesus. All about Jesus. So I'm going to ask us to stand. That's all right. I'm just going to pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you your word that is truth Lord God Father we thank you that as we study your word that we can learn and take wisdom from events that have happened before us Lord God Heavenly Father we pray Lord God that we would be bold with your word Lord God that we would have a heart like Peter and John for you for your message, Father God, for your glory, Lord God, to share that gospel, Father. Lord, we thank you that as a father, we can come to you and apologise for the times that we've fallen short, Lord. Thank you for that, that you restore us, that you dust us down and send us off again, Lord God. Father, I pray now, as we open our hands to you, Lord God, that we would be filled, Lord God, with this passion that we read about in Acts this boldness, Lord God, to share the gospel with the world around us, Lord God. That we would be sold out for you, Lord God, even if it means persecution, even if it means ridicule, even if it means being dragged before people, Lord God. Because our ultimate goal in life is to serve you, Father God, for your glory, for your kingdom, for your honour, Lord Jesus.